Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living A Course in Miracles. This is season five, and it's called The Book Club. We're at chapter nine. Welcome back. A Course in Miracles is a course in mind training. This book gives us the opportunity to retrain our minds, to undo all the misunderstandings and misperceptions we have about our journey in this world. This book gives us another perspective to consider, another choice, as you will. I remember the first time I read the book. It was as if everything that felt wrong about this world was somehow corrected and made right again. My journey of rediscovering myself and who I am from an eternal perspective has brought me so much joy and peace. It's my hope that you will find your center and live in joy and peace within every moment of your existence in this world. I find myself reminding people, if the worst possible outcome is our salvation, with that as our final destination, why waste a second of this life worrying about anything? This next section of chapter nine focuses on the following sections, the acceptance of your brother, the two evaluations, grandeur versus grandiosity. That'll be ending chapter nine. Then we'll start chapter 10 this week and we'll begin with two sections. The first one, sorry, chapter 10 is called the idols of sickness. And the first one is called the introduction. And the second section and the final section we'll cover this week is called at home in God. So let's begin. On page, now this is my book, obviously, if you may have it on a different page, if you have a different version of this book, but I have it on page 173 at the bottom is the acceptance of your brother. And it goes like this. It starts like this. Paragraph one, how can you become increasingly aware of the Holy Spirit in you except by his effects? Question mark. You cannot see him with your eyes nor hear him with your ears. How then can you perceive him at all? Question mark. If you require joy and others react to you, sorry, if you inspire joy and others react to you with joy, even though you are not experiencing joy yourself, there must be something in you that is capable of producing it. If it is in you and can produce joy, and if you see that it does produce joy in others, you must be disassociating it in yourself. Paragraph two, sentence four says, what you offer to your brother, you offer to him, meaning God, because he cannot go beyond your offering in his giving. This is not because he limits his giving, but simply because you have limited your receiving. The decision to receive is the decision to accept. Next page, 174. Paragraph three at the top, sentence two says, only they can teach you what you are, for your learning is the result of what you taught them. What you call upon in them, you call upon in yourself. And as you call upon it in them, it becomes real to you. God has but one son, knowing them all as one. Only God himself is more than they 
but they are not less than he is. I'm going to stop there for a second. Sentence five in paragraph three is very important. It says, God has but only one son, knowing them all as one. So this is one of the first places in the book that it refers to all of us as being God's only son. So he's not referring to Christ here. He's referring to every one of us. Sentence nine in that same paragraph says, everyone God created is part of you and shares his glory with you. His glory belongs to him, but it is equally yours. You cannot then be less glorious than he is. Paragraph four, sentence three says, neither God's light nor yours is dimmed because you do not see. Because the sonship must create as one, you remember creation whenever you recognize part of creation. Each part you remember adds to your wholeness because each part is whole. Wholeness is indivisible, but you cannot learn of your wholeness until you see it everywhere. Sentence eight, a little bit, well, skip a sentence and go to sentence eight. When you awaken in him, you will know your magnitude by accepting his limitlessness as yours. But meanwhile, you will judge it as you judge your brothers and will accept it as you accept his. Paragraph five, sentence one says, you are not yet awake, but you can learn how to awaken. Very simply, the Holy Spirit teaches you to awaken others. As you see them awaken, you will learn what waking means. And because you have chosen to wake them, their gratitude and their appreciation of what you have given them will teach you its value. Paragraph six near the bottom says, miracles have no place in eternity because they are reparative. Yet while you still need healing, your miracles are the only witnesses to your reality that you can recognize. Next page, page 175, paragraph seven says, eternity is one time, its only dimension being always. This cannot mean anything to you until you remember God's open arms and finally know his open mind. Like him, you are always in his mind and with a mind like his, in your open mind are your creations in perfect communication, born of perfect understanding. Could you but accept one of them, you would not want anything the world has to offer. Everything else would be would be totally meaningless. And then finally, sentence nine at the bottom says, you will never know that you are co-creator with God until you learn that your brother is co-creator with you. So that ends that first section, which is called <laughs> uh, the acceptance of your brother. So basically, I think the last line sort of sums up the whole message of this particular section. It's just that you will never know that you are co-creator with God until you learn that your brother is co-creator with you. So until we accept every single person in the sonship, every person we like, we dislike, we dis. I don't, I don't like to use the word hate, but some people hate, hate or don't want anything to do with it until we accept everyone as part of the whole, we're not going to be able to co-create with God. The next section is the two evaluations on page 175. And it goes like this. 
Paragraph one, God's will is your salvation. Would he not have given you the means to find it? Question mark. If he wills you to have it, he must have made it possible and easy to obtain it. Your brothers are everywhere. You do not have to seek far for salvation. Every minute and every second gives you a chance to save yourself. Sentence eight says, God wills you perfect happiness now. Is it possible that this is not also your will? Question mark. And is it possible that this is not also the will of your brothers? Question mark. Paragraph two, consider then that in this joint will, you are all united and in and in this only. There may be disagreement on anything else, but not on this. This then is where peace abides, and you abide in peace when you decide so. Yet you cannot abide in peace unless you accept the atonement, because the atonement is the way to peace. Paragraph three at the bottom says, it is perfectly obvious that if the Holy Spirit looks with love on all he perceives, he looks with love on you. His evaluation of you is based on his knowledge of what you are. And so he evaluates you truly. And this evaluation must be in your mind because he is in your mind. The ego is also in your mind. (laughs) Next page. Oh, and because you have accepted it there, your evaluation of you, however, is exactly opposite of the Holy Spirit's because the ego does not love you. It is unaware of what you are and wholly mistrustful of everything it perceives because it perceive its perception is so shifting or shifty. <laughs> the ego is therefore capable of suspiciousness at best and viciousness at worst. That is its range. It cannot exceed it because of its uncertainty. Paragraph four says, you then have two conflicting evaluations of yourself in your mind, and they cannot both be true. You do not yet realize how completely different these evaluations are because you do not understand how lofty the Holy Spirit's perception of you really is. He is not deceived by anything you do because he never forgets what you are. And you notice that he, it always says what you are. It never says who you are. And I'm, and I'm going to just quickly make that distinction because in this realm of existence, we're always trying to find who we are. Who are we? We ne- where do I belong? You know, where did I come from? This is clearly saying the Holy Spirit knows what you are. Very different. Paragraph five says, if you choose to see yourself as unloving, you will not be happy. You are condemning yourself and must therefore regard yourself as inadequate. Paragraph six, you cannot evaluate an insane belief system from within it. Its range precludes this. You can only go beyond it. Look back from a point where sanity exists and see the contrast. Only by this contrast can insanity be judged as insane. With the grandeur of God in you, you have chosen to be little and to lament lament your littleness. 
paragraph seven at the bottom. I've said that the ego does not know what a real question is. Next page. Lack of knowledge of any kind is always associated with unwillingness to know. And this produces a lack of knowledge simply because knowledge is total. And sentence nine at the bottom says, if it comes from God, he knows it to be true. If it does not, he knows that it is meaningless. Paragraph eight says, whenever you question your value, say this, God himself is incomplete without me. Remember this when the ego speaks and you will not hear it. The truth about you is so lofty that nothing unworthy of God is worthy of you. Choose then what you want in these terms and accept nothing that you would not offer to God as wholly fitting for him. You do not want anything else. So that's the end of the two evaluations. So just clearly stating that, you know, that split mind, that two evaluations of ourselves, you know, the one that's judgmental, that side of us that's judgmental, very earthbound, very ego-based, and the other side that's spiritual and at one with God. And they're in conflict and they're conflicting. So, you know, the book will later on tell you, you have to choose between one or the other. So the next section on 177 is grandeur versus grandiosity. Starts off like this, paragraph one, grandeur is of God and only of him. Therefore, it is in you. Whenever you become aware of it, however dimly, you abandon the ego automatically because in the presence of grandeur of God, the meaninglessness of the ego becomes perfectly apparent. Paragraph two, grandiosity is always a cover for despair. It is without hope because it is not real. It is an attempt to counter your littleness based on the belief that the littleness is real. Next page. Oh, no, I have to finish this at the bottom. <laughs> Without this belief, grandiosity is meaningless, and you could not possibly, next page, want it. The essence of grandiosity is competitiveness because it also involves attack. It is a delusional attempt to outdo, but not to undo. Paragraph three, the ego does not understand the difference between grandeur and grandiosity because it sees no difference between miracle impulses and ego-based beliefs of its own. I told you that the ego is aware of threat to its existence, but makes no distinctions between these two very different kinds of threat. Paragraph four, the ego is immobilized in the power of God's grandeur because his grandeur establishes your freedom. Sentence three, grandeur is totally without illusions and because it is real, it is compellingly convincing. Sentence seven, a little further down says, yet your grandeur is not delusional because you did not make it. <laughs> you made grandiosity and are afraid of it because it is a form of attack, but your grandeur is of God who created it out of his love. Paragraph five, from your grandeur, you can only bless because your grandeur is your abundance. Paragraph six, sentence four, which is on 178, there last, there are two words, three words before it goes to the next page. Littleness and grandeur cannot coexist, nor is it possible for them to alternate. 
Littleness and grandiosity can and must alternate since both are untrue and are therefore on the same level. Paragraph seven, sentence three, when grandeur slips away from you, you've replaced it with something you have made. Perhaps it is the belief in littleness. Perhaps it is the belief in grandiosity. Yet it must be insane because it is not true. Your grandeur will never deceive you, but your illusions always will. Paragraph eight. It is easy to distinguish grandeur from grandiosity because love is returned and pride is not. Paragraph nine, sentence six says grandiosity is delusional because it is used to replace your grandeur. Yet what God has created cannot be replaced. God is incomplete without you because his grandeur is total and you cannot be missing from it. So then the next page, which is page 180, paragraph 11, sentence six starts with, ask the Holy Spirit what it is and he will tell you, but do not be afraid of his answer because it comes from God. It is an exalted answer because of its source, but the source is true and so is its answer. Listen and do not question what you hear for God does not deceive. All right, so before we start chapter 10, this is grandeur versus grandiosity. I guess the best way to sum that up is really to say that grandeur is of God, and this is what this section stated, and as long as you feel grandeur, and that is your wholeness, that is who you truly are, then you are one with God. But if you feel grandiosity, if you think you are better than others, if your ego is so big that you can't see others as your equal, then that's grandiosity. That's the littleness. We think it's bigness because we think our egos are so big, but it's really littleness that we're experiencing and it's not of God. All right. So chapter 10, the idols of sickness. We're going to start with the introduction on page 181. Oh, so I think I almost highlighted this whole section. (laughs) Paragraph one, nothing beyond yourself can make you fearful or loving because nothing is beyond you. Time and eternity are both in your mind and will conflict until you perceive time solely as a means to regain eternity. You cannot do this as long as you believe that anything happening to you is caused by factors outside of yourself. You must learn that time is solely at your disposal and that nothing in the world can take this responsibility from you. You can violate God's laws in your imagination, but you cannot escape from them. They were established for your protection and are as inviolate as your safety. So I love this first paragraph. It's so important because clearly, clearly states it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you try to control in this world, that will never be who you truly are. And you will never find eternity outside of yourself. Paragraph two, God created nothing besides you and nothing besides you exists for you are part of him. Sentence six, a little bit further down says, your holy mind establishes everything that happens to you. Every response you make to everything you perceive is up to you because your mind determines your perception 
of it. There you go, our mind in control. We have the ability to control everything we put in it. Paragraph three, God does not change his mind about you, for he is not uncertain of himself. And what he knows can be known because he does not know it only for himself. So he doesn't keep it to himself. He was happy to share it. He will share it with all of us. Sentence four says, that is why your mind is holy. Can anything exceed the love of God? Question mark. Can anything then exceed your will? Question mark. Nothing can reach you from beyond it because being in God, you encompass everything. Believe this and you will realize how much, how much is up to you. When anything threatens your peace of mind, ask yourself, has God changed his mind about me? No, never. Sentence 10 says, then accept his decision for it is indeed changeless and refuse to change your mind about yourself. God will never decide against you or he would be deciding against himself. He wouldn't do that. So that, I practically read that whole section to you, but that's a really great message that starts off paragraph, uh, sorry, chapter 10, basically saying that God is in us. We are part of him. We are his creation. He is not going to throw away his creation because he'd be throwing away part of himself. So remember, whenever you're confused, whenever you feel lost, he's there. He's inside you. He's not outside of you. He's inside of you. That's where you find him. Next page, page 182. Paragraph one, sentence three says, the law of creation is that you love your creations as yourself because they are part of you. Everything that was created is therefore perfectly safe because the laws of God protected by his love. Any part of your mind that does not know this has banished itself from knowledge because it has not met its conditions. I'm going to add something. I This part is so big for me because it clearly states that whenever you feel afraid, whenever you feel you're not safe, that is just something your ego has created. It's not real because never in your existence, in eternity, are you not safe. That message is that there is not a single thing in this world that can make you afraid that you don't choose to be afraid of. God can keep you from being afraid of anything as long as you so choose it. Paragraph two, you are at home in God, dreaming of exile, but perfectly capable of awakening to reality. Is it your decision to do so? Question mark. You recognize from your own experience that what you see in dreams you think is real while you are asleep. Yet the instant you awaken, you realize that everything that seemed to happen in the dream did not happen at all. You do not think this strange, even though all the laws of what you awaken to were violated while you slept. Is it not possible that you merely shifted from one dream to another without really waking? Question mark. I always thought this was mind blowing, this paragraph, because it's basically saying, how do you know you're not in a dream now? How do you know this isn't all something you just dreamed up? I mean, we can all say yes when we wake up from a dream, particularly ones that were disturbing to us. And we're like, oh, that's not real. That was a dream. 
What the book is trying to tell you is that this isn't real either. It's a dream. It's just a living dream, but it's still a dream. It's not real. It's not who you truly are. And none of this is true. Paragraph three, sentence two. You do not remember being awake when you hear the Holy Spirit, you may feel better because loving then seems possible to you, but you do not remember yet that it once was so. And it is in this remembering that you know it can be so again. What is possible has not yet been accomplished. Yet what has once been is so now, if it is eternal. When you remember you will know that what you remember is eternal and therefore is now. <laughs> I love this kind of writing. I don't. At times I found this very annoying, to be honestly, to be honest with you. And the reality is I've read this book, I don't even know how many times I've lost count, but so many, so many times that it's only from reading it multitude of times that this started to make sense. But, you know, basically what this book is saying is that we're asleep, right? We haven't truly awakened. And only in awakening will we remember who we truly are and who we've always been and who we will always be. And that's what the message here is trying to say. Paragraph four, and this is the last paragraph before we finish today, says, you will remember everything the instant you desire it wholly. For if to desire holy is to create. You will have willed away the separation, returning your mind simultaneously to your creator and your creations. Knowing them, you will have no wish to sleep, but only desire to awaken and be glad. Dreams will be impossible because you will want only truth. And being at last your will, it will be yours. There we are. We are finished for this week. And next, in two weeks time, we will continue with chapter 10, The Idols of Sickness. And we will pick up on page 183, covering the decision to forget the God of sickness, the end of sickness, the denial of God, and we'll stop at the denial of God because that will actually end chapter 10 and then pick up chapter 11 after that. I've started an online book club. Well, I've been doing book clubs for years now, but um, I've stuck to this online one, which happens on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if any one of you out there um, are interested in joining and being a part of the discussion. It's a wonderful discussion. It's kind of like what I'm doing right now, but you get to say something back. <laughs> it's not just me talking. And it's a it's fabulous and I have wonderful people involved. So if anyone is interested, please contact me through my email, trifectanow3 at gmail.com. There's no cost involved. The, I know the only problem might be the time frame and like our time zone um, might conflict with some people. And um I'm hoping if you can, that you would join in. That would be awesome. Also, I'm really open to doing a, a book club on someone else's that's more convenient to someone else's time zone. If you just send me an email, I'd be happy to make it. I don't mind if I do it early in the morning or later in the evening. I'd be happy to uh, do that with any group that would be interested. So let me know. 
I'd like to say hello to all my friends listening. Oh, it's so wonderful when I look at, don't do it that often because I'm I've been busy recently, but when I take a look at the stats and where I'm at with this podcast, it's so, my heart is so full and it, my cup runneth over. And I'd like to say hello to my friends from the United States. I'm not going to be very specific today. I'm just going to talk about all the countries because there's so many countries joining in now. The United States of America, hello, Canada, my country, yeah, United Kingdom, Germany, Mexico, Italy, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Guatemala, China, France, Kenya, almost got every continent. We're getting there. I am so grateful that I can share this message with people from all over this beautiful planet of ours. All my love and joy to you. Thanks for listening. I can be contacted again by email at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. You can find that in the comments of each podcast. So you can look that up if I talk too fast. Um, you can send me an email at any time to say hello, share a comment, any questions you have, say you're interested in joining the online book club, whatever you'd like. I'd also send, I would also like to send out light and love to all of us who are watching some of our family members suffer with illnesses and some are passing on. Remember that each one of us has their own journey and what we can do to help to support those who need healing is to share our love and light with them as they find their way. The outcome is never really tragic. The final destination is utopia. We are not bodies, but spirits. Keep sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Let us together find our way. Live in this moment It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.